today's episode, we sit down with frontman of Skillet, John Cooper. His newest book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke, is out November 14th. Welcome back to the Christian Music Guys, the podcast for Christian music fans by Christian music fans. Chris, um, Merry Christmas. It is officially November. And um, especially Christmas. The, a lot of the radio's wow. channels are playing Christmas music and... Yeah, I'm putting putting up my tree. I will say, I, I will say, um, we, so we are the 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 people that would decorate right after Halloween two years ago, you know, and before. And two years ago, that was still frowned upon. And everybody would look at us like we were the crazy ones and that why in the world are you decorating so early? But for whatever reason, in 2023, this year, Halloween happened and literally the next day, all mm, over preach. social media, the news, everywhere, everybody was decorating for Christmas already. And I'm like, Whoa, what in the world has happened? We started like, it. We I have started no idea, trend, Chris. I I guess so. I have no idea. But this year, it's like uh, everybody's like, no holds bar. <laughs> We're decorating. I'm like, I mean, I'm here for it. But at the same token, I'm like, you. I'm going to call you crazy just because you, hypocr- you called you me hypocrites. crazy. <laughs> yeah, we're putting up our tree on Friday um, this week. And so um, it'll be exciting. So Merry Christmas. This is the month of Thanksgiving, and we are thankful for so many things. Um, but also we we love Christmas. And so we love this time of the year with Thanksgiving and Christmas. But um we did recently sit down with John Cooper. Now this interview is is something different, which was pretty pretty special. Um, it was um, put together by Velvet uh, through the Media Collective, and uh, this is kind of like a press style, press conference style, press room, press press, press Zoom room, room style. style. Yes. With several different media outlets, I think there was like eight or nine, and we each got a chance to talk with John on his latest book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. Uh, this this book is um, is is a good book. It's a book that needs to be put out, and it's a it's a bold book, a bold statement. Um, just of when you turn on the news for about 10, 15 minutes, and you kind of get the gist of how America is going. And, you know, we never get real political on here or anything, but all I know is that America, uh, we all need Jesus. I want to get those shirts from, from Walmart that says y'all need Jesus because, uh, a lot of people need Jesus. And, um, this book just points out all of the, uh, the things that's been going on in America over the past several years. And it's not hard to not know what's going on but just like i said you just you just see it on social media hear it on the news and now you see it in in the programs that you watch your, your kids programs and everything and so wimpy week and woke uh the book by john cooper from skillet will be released on november the 14th get your book copy on his website at john cooper 
www.thinkingmanlive.com. And uh, so check out this interview. Hey, everybody. What's up? Thanks so much for joining us. I just wanted to uh, quickly say a huge thank you. I've never done anything like this, and it's a real honor that you would come and, and be with me. So thank you. It's so cool to be here. If I could just give a very quick explanation, wimpy, weak, and woke, and uh, why did I write this? Um, I think that in, uh, some people have wondered, was this just your way to be super hyper aggressive and yell at people or create something that is uh, so provocative that it's, you know, punches somebody in the face? That is absolutely not my heart. So I wanted to start this by explaining, I truly believe we are at a precipice of, uh, I don't think that I'm too alarmist to say this, the destruction of the country. Um, the destruction of the church in America. You know, Vody Bakken wrote a book called Fault Lines that was sort of about this major split that's happening in the church. Of course, this was focused on racial issues, uh, which I totally agree with. But I think there's a lot of other things. We had a great book um, by Elisa Childers on the progressive Christian movement. That is another fault line happening. And currently, as everybody knows, another one is on uh, biblical sexual ethics. What does that mean? And um, that is another major split that is happening. I just wanted to say this. The reason I wrote this is because in around 2014, 15, when I was asking all these questions, I'd be on the road. I'd meet pastors. I'd meet youth workers. I'd meet really smart people. And I'd say, hey, what do you what do you think about this thing that so-and-so said? What do you think about these ideas? What do you think about BLM? What do you think about XYZ? And I will tell you, 95% of the time, I never received answers that helped me. Literally never. They would usually answer, and usually they would be sort of on what I would call the traditional side or the kind of conservative type side, historical Christianity. They kind of say, yeah, yeah, but I just, I don't really love how they say it, or I don't know if that's completely fair because the other side has this. And so they all would end up in what I call in my book, the third way position. And it would leave me not sure about what the Bible says. It would leave me going, okay, the Bible probably says the historic position, but we don't really like that the Bible says that. So I think that we're going to go a little progressive on it or be open to progressive. It did not help me. And that is the reason, just so you know, that I am so candid. I am so honest. I am so straightforward about what I believe because I want to help people. I want to save people and help snatch them from the fire, from the fire, as it says in the book of Jude. I don't think it's helpful to, 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 to always water everything down because people are genuinely curious. So as we begin, as a presupposition, all of the answers, I don't have time. These, these questions you gave me are really hard, by the way, <laughs> really deep questions. And I don't have time on each answer to give you three minutes of caveat about to assure you of my compassion for people. Understand, I love these people. Nobody has time for that. It's a presupposition. I love people. I want people to know Jesus. I want Christians that are flirting with progressive Christianity to be saved from it. I believe that is an apostate religion, all right? I want to save people, and I'm doing it because I have compassion for them. I don't think that I know everything. I don't think I'm always right, but I just think it's the right thing to do to give people a clear answer so it's not so watered down. Having said that, Thank you. Let's jump in. All right. <laughs> and so I think that that's where some of the confusion comes in. What does woke mean? I define woke in my my introduction chapter, which I call pre-show. And then I go to a longer definition in the first chapter. And, and that, that can kind of get in the weeds. But here's what I basically think woke is. 
being woke basically means being awake to the nature of social oppression and victimization. Now, a lot of people say, okay, well, why isn't that a really good thing? Well, it depends on how you define oppression and victimization. Who, who is oppressed and who is the victim and how do we define those topics? Uh, so let me give you an example of that. I wrote down a few things um, because wokeness is a totalizing worldview. All right. So when I say how we define the victims, here's a good example. And in wokeness, in the progressive worldview, a an unwanted child um, is oppressing its mother. So if the, if the mom, if there's an unborn child, the mom's like, I don't want to have this child. Well, then she is seen to be being oppressed by the baby. Obviously, the biblical worldview teaches us something different. Now, this is even infected in Christianity because I think a lot of what you hear a lot with a lot of even uh, pro-life Christians and a lot of the leaders, they always say, well, abortion has two victims. Abortion uh, is the baby's a victim, but also the moms are victims. And it's those kind of things that you hear. Now, of course, sometimes moms are victims. I think recently Britney Spears came out talking about how she felt she had been kind of coerced to have an abortion or something to that effect. And that does happen. My friend Victoria Robinson is a pro-life advocate for 30 years. She wrote a book called They Lied to Us. And the point is, is she she her story is that Planned Parenthood lied to them. They didn't tell them the truth. And in that sense, you, you, you do kind of create this really um, unfair thing that happened to women. But at the same time, we also have to recognize in 2021, 42% of all women who had, uh, had abortions had already had an abortion in the past. In other words, they're, they're repeat, repeat customers, 42%. The majority of women who had abortions in 2021 already had given birth to a living child. So we can't always look at those things and say, yeah, they're a victim. That's what the progressive worldview. Here's another example. The reason college students right now are cheering Hamas the brutal rape and murder, the beheading of babies, but they're cheering it is because they say, yeah, but, but the, but Hamas are the true victims. They're the victims of an, an, an oppressive society, which is um, Israel basically. And, but the truth is, is if you look at the 1990, uh, excuse me, 1988 Hamas covenants, you'll see, they believe their mission is to eradicate every living Jew from the land. So their oppression is because of the existence of a single Jew living on that land. So this is the problem with um, with wokeness. It redefines through a critical lens, th through through a Marxist lens, not through a biblical lens, who is actually the victim. So that's why in my in my book I describe it. Wokeness. Uh, the problem with wokeness is that it trades biblical justice for critical social justice. And critical social justice does not have a static metric for good and evil. In fact, it doesn't believe in a, in absolutes. There is no absolute morality. You can only know what is moral through the lens of the oppressed, but the oppressed, uh, ha that has to be defined through this Marxist secular worldview. And so it's not a surprise to me that a lot of really well-meaning people said, hey, I'm, I'm woke too, because wokeness and these social justice movements, they borrowed from the Christian worldview, helping the poor, helping the oppressed. Those are Christian values, all right? Those are not Marxist values. Those are Christian values. And then the secular worldview borrowed them, changed the definitions, and then they used them, and then Christians started using 
the same terminology because they didn't understand what those movements were all about. So hopefully uh, that explains what I mean when I say woke. And it's the reason now that that people on the, I would call it on the right, they call those people woke. They say, yeah, that's because you're woke because they kind of figured out the game of what was happening. And then it was the left that said, wait a minute, they're using our own term against us. But the, but but in reality, the term actually means the same thing. Uh, so most so the the people that originally called themselves woke still actually believe the same things that they they used to be. Even though there are Christian people who are like, well, I, I didn't know it meant any of that. I thought it just meant like caring for people and caring for the poor and the oppressed. So I make it very clear in my book: caring for the poor is not being woke. That is what Christians are supposed to do. Okay. Um, follow up. Uh, a lot of what you discuss, um, like we're up in your, here in Canada, it seems America centric. I mean, why is that? A, how do you think the wider world views these issues? I mean, you touched on it a little bit, though. Mm. It definitely is America centric because I, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, because um, you know that's my context. So this is this is the culture that I understand more than than other cultures, and some of what I see in other countries, I. Uh, in other words, I'm not there. Am, am, am I sure I'm getting the right information or the wrong information or this or the other? For instance, let's just say I remember in 2020, Christians in the UK nearly, I would say, pretty close to rebuking Christians in America uh, who said, no, I'm going to church. I'm not going to stay locked down for all of eternity um, until the government says that I can do it because we we the people, we have a voice. We, you know, in, in America, we are Caesar, right? And so they were kind of rebuking us about that. And at the same time, I was thinking, <laughs> um, why do you guys love Caesar so much? I don't really understand their context fully. And to tell you the truth, I don't want to be like those countries. And I, I don't think that Christianity has much of a voice that I have been able to see in a lot of the European nations. Um, and so, uh, yes, it's very America-centric. And it's also America-centric because in America, and again, I don't know the context of Canada as much, we also have this major move of progressive Christianity that is infiltrating the church. And as I, I have pointed out a lot as friends of mine, like uh, Elisa Childers and a lot of people, uh, Frank Turek, a lot of people in the, the kind of apologetic community have noticed it's actually the progressive Christians who are much more political than what I, than traditional Christians. I would say most traditional Christians are pretty much just hyper against abortion and don't necessarily get into the other things. The progressive Christian movement is really being fueled by so much politics because the progressive Christian movement leans towards statism. In other words, it leans toward the state is kind of the God and, and, and the state is going to make life perfect. The state is going to give us utopia. And so because of that, the progressive Christians are perfectly in line with the secular progressive world who also are statist. And um, that's the reason I focus on America. I truly believe America is very close to just being too far gone to be saved. And I think if America goes, I think all of the West goes full into tyranny because I think America is sort of the last beacon for for uh, individual liberties and things like that. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Sure. Hey, John, thanks so much for uh, doing this today. I greatly appreciate it. I got a couple questions here for you. 
you know, John, it's it's really sad how out of touch with reality our culture has gotten. Um, do you find it crazy or shocking that a book like this even needs to be written in this day and time? <laughs> yeah, I you know, I actually laughed when I saw that question. Yeah, I've been saying that for a while. I've been like, I really can't even believe we have to say these things. Um, like, for instance, recently, some of the drama that I've gotten in because of my job, you know, speaking out <laughs> against uh, Christian Christian musicians who are cussing in their songs, you know, saying the F word in a, in a song. And and then people saying, yeah, that's how we're going to reach people, people in the in the Christian music industry. We've got to reach people. Quit quit acting like legalistic Pharisees, John. I'm, my mind is just blown. Uh, the most recent one is how we I have people mad at me in the industry because I said, hey, I don't think we should have, quote unquote, Christian drag queens, artists like I don't think that's a thing that we can do and have people in the industry mad. No, I am shocked that it has to be said. I think that my shock came um, really in 2020. That's when that's when I got the most shocked. 2019 is when I finally was like, I've got to say something. And I, you know, I wrote something about the deconstruction movement. <laughs> Forgive me if I cough. I'm, I've been up in altitude and I'm coughing a lot. But 2020, let me just say this. I'm shocked to see people agreeing to lock down forever. I understand. I was I was fine to lock down for two weeks. After two weeks, I'm like, huh, I wonder what, <laughs> what, what the government's going to do. Forever, I'm shocked to see churches saying, yet yeah, we need to shut down forever. Christians rebuking churches that opened up their services. Christians rebuking other Christians who didn't march with BLM. By the way, I'm, I live in Kenosha, three blocks from my house, uh, is where the BLM riots that burned down my city. Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people, literally three blocks. I can almost see it from my house, all right? So seeing Christians rebuke people who were not marching with BLM was insane. Now we got Christians that are, go that are just uh, going pro-choice, Christian leaders pro-choice, Christian musicians posting pro-choice stuff. Never thought I would see that. Christian leaders demanding that people get vaccinated. A brand new, I mean, I, look, I said from the beginning, I don't, I don't, I, to me, that's an issue of conscience. If you feel you should get vaccinated, then you should do it. But Christian leaders coming on and demanding that if you don't get a vax, <laughs> that you're not loving your neighbor, that is insane to me. This can just kind of keep on going. The The rise of, of trans ideology, um, like I said, I just got rebuked this week. I've been rebuked by Christian leaders because I said that parents needed to go to, to their school's, you know, uh, PTA boards or whatever. They need to go there and 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 raise, holy heck, no, we're not going to have drag queens come and read to my kids in school. I can't believe the amount of Christian leaders that have rebuked me for that. Like, John, that's just, that's not the attitude that we're supposed to have and yada, yada. So yes, I'm, I'm shocked about it. One of the things that I think might be happening is, it, we're going to talk about this later, but I think because we haven't really, taught worldview in within Christendom in a very long time, like maybe since the 90s, maybe 80s, we stopped teaching worldview. And I think that even a lot of Christian leaders who I do think love God, I think they just don't know what Karl Marx taught. I don't think they know what the critical theory folks taught. I think they just hear stuff from the culture and they go, well, I kind of agree with that. We really should help the poor. Um, we really should make sure that people can eat. And they just they get on board with things that they don't understand. So yes, I'm shocked about it. Awesome. Well, you know, John, not only do I appreciate 
your stand for Jesus, but, you know, I love the Cooper Stuff podcast that I watch in every week when you post a new episode, but, you know, also for your stand for morals and values that our out-of-control society really deems as a whole as obsolete. And I'm curious, knowing that you have a lot of friends and have toured with uh, many in the mainstream music community, uh, do you get a lot of flack and pushback for not only your Christian faith, but your view on like hot button topics and such? You know, I, I do in a public in a public setting. I mean, one of the things I touched on 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 in the book, and I truly believe that most Christian leaders don't know this. I know that most Christians don't because I had to go deep into this in the last seven years reading this stuff. I think what people don't understand is that these utopian philosophies, the secular humanists, the 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 atheists that really want to just transform and tear down Western civilization all the way to the bottom. Um, I don't think they understand why. I think your typical Christian goes, well, yeah, that's because they they hate Jesus. They they hear they hear people say that Jesus is the only way to heaven and they just get so mad they want to tear it down. That's not actually really, that's not really true. These people, of course, they hate God, you know, and there's a an unconscious hate of, of the creator. Some of them consciously hate the creator. Karl Marx consciously hated Jesus. But a lot of them just hate Christianity's morals. That they, they, They're like, Nietzsche said it. Like I wrote it in the book. Nietzsche, I'm, this isn't the full quote, but I'm paraphrasing Nietzsche. Nietzsche basically said, everybody's attacking Christianity in the wrong way. Who cares? If someone believes that Jesus is the son of God, who cares if they believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins or rose from the dead, or that he is the only way to heaven? That doesn't really matter. We need to attack Christianity at its morals. That's the only thing that matters. What do I care what you believe in your personal, <laughs> in your head and at your home or what you, you know, I don't care if you go to church or not. We need to attack Christianity at its morals because it's Christianity's morals that are oppressing the culture. That's what Christians don't understand. Marx, um, the critical theorist, Freud, um, uh, Wilhelm Reich, who wrote the sexual revolution that led to the 1960s free love sex movement, uh, Mark Hughes, who is a, a neo-Marxist, um, all of these things going into the sexual revolution, radical feminism, all of these things believe that the morals of Christianity are literally oppressing society. And so if you're not standing up for Christian morality, People don't care if you're a Christian or not. <laughs> They're like, you can believe you can believe in Jesus or you can believe in little, a fairy godmother. We don't really care. It doesn't affect me. It's the morals. So what I would just say is this. Uh, in a public setting, yeah, I get a lot of, of, of hits, of course, from the world, and that's fine. What's sad to me, and in, in, in my, naive, my naivety I didn't think would happen, was the amount of hate that I get from Christians who still claim to agree with me on sexual morality or on whatever, they'll, they'll be like, John, I, I agree. I'm just saying you're being so mean about it. You shouldn't say these things. You're pushing people away. Those are the third way people. They never hold the line. I mean, we just saw in the last month, I'm sure everybody knows, one of the biggest mega church pastors in the nation is being so confusing about sexual morality that no one even knows what he's saying. It just kind of sounds like what he means is, Whatever, whoever you are, you're a part of us. You know, I was reading, uh, not not to bash on somebody, Preston Sprinkle is 
uh, the founder of the, I can't remember what it's called, biblical, sexual, gender, whatever it's called. And Sprinkle does a lot of really great, wonderful things that I affirm. But on one of his things, when he was sort of rebuking the Nashville statement, which was written by John Piper and a lot of people like that, he was sort of rebuking them. And he said, you know what? You know what you guys should have written in your statement? You should have said, we repent. We Christians repent for, for creating a heteronormative church culture. And what I have to say to Preston Sprinkle is, I affirm that you love people. Amen, brother. How can a church be anything but heteronormative? What are you talking about? I don't even know what that means. You're confusing everybody. That is what has really made me sad. To answer your last point, on tour, I've never gotten in a heated argument with any band member I've toured with, even when they disagree with me because we're friends. And in the end, I say, hey, I just say it to them in a way that they can understand. I say, you got to understand. I think some of the things that you believe are really bad. In fact, some of them I think are evil, but I, I look past that because I, I love you as a friend and you're going to think the same thing about me. So let's just have a discussion and let the best ideas win. And if we don't agree, we just look past that. And I've never had anything bad happen on the road. Amen, John. Well, thank you so much for taking my questions. And I pray that the Lord can do some big things with this book, uh, be eye-opening. And I uh, also look forward to seeing uh, you and the the band uh, on tour with uh, Theory of a Dead Man later this month, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate the, the support so much. Hey, I appreciate you so much. Stands you're taking in so many different ways. Um, first thing I'd like to get your input on, um, we've got a we've got a show called You Talk, which is on Instagram for teens and young adults. Many young adults believe absolute truth does not exist and have abandoned Christianity. How do we develop some kind of common ground with them so we can dialogue how a biblical worldview can radically change their life? Oh, amen. I love this. You're right. It's it's a real problem right now, and we do have to handle it delicately, which is why I appreciate what you're saying and what you're doing. I would just give some some counsel. I would just say this. When you're, when you're trying to reach these kids, just don't jump into their worldview, if that makes sense. In other words, what I think that the, that, that the church has done that's not good is that in order to try to win people, they've tried to jump into their worldview and sort of um, kind of co-opt some of the things that they say or that they believe, even if the Christian leader knows that they don't believe it, they might use the same language in order to try to connect. But all that they're doing is sort of, in a way, validating the young person's worldview. And so we see this with things like justice. So when they're talking, when when a lot of these kids are talking about justice, they don't mean justice like the Bible means justice. The Christian leader knows that. But rather than saying, now just to be clear, what, what do you think you should base your justice on a lot of times they just go, you're right. We have to do justice. We have to care for the poor and the oppressed. And they think that they are finding common ground. But all it does is validate the other person because they go, see, that's one of the good Christians. They care They care for, um, you know, whatever it may be for racial justice, just like I do. So they're going to march with me in BLM or they're going to fill in the blank with one of the, one of the good examples is, is like, for instance, it's, it's, it's viewed as unjust that a teenage boy who identifies as a girl, if he is not allowed to play in a girl's sports team, 
most young people, or I would say the majority, I think it's something like 55%, think that that, or maybe more, think that that is unjust. And so if you, the leader, are talking to them and they think that you're on the side of the poor and the oppressed, they assume then that you validate this opinion about boys playing on girls' sports team. That's just a random example. So I think we cannot jump into their worldview and validate it. The last thing I would say about this that I is one of the things I like most about my book is I present this, this philosophy that is that God created a moral universe and then God gave us a moral law and his law and his universe coincide. So, so in other words, what I'm saying is, is that God's law is rational. His law is not irrational. Postmodernism is irrational. So we ought to be able to win some of these arguments with, with folks who are struggling by entering into a rational dialogue, asking them, so what do you think then we start going down the line, you know what I mean? So so, so if a boy can identify as a girl, then can he identify as a dog? And then does that mean that everyone else in the classroom needs to bark at him? Or does that mean that everybody in the classroom needs to call him or you know scratch his head or something like that? Most of young people will laugh at that and be like, that's absurd, of course it's not. Well, that's because a boy who identifies as a girl is an irrational concept. And now we go back to the Bible. So that's what I would, that's what I would encourage you on. Another thing that we really wrestle with, and it's similar is dystopian nightmares have birthed an identity crisis in our culture with young adults. They're searching for who they are and their purpose in life in all the wrong places. How do we best influence them to make different choices? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say this, we have to talk about the real stuff. And I would say that that a lot of a lot of Christian leaders have gone the other way. They, they they've said, "Hey, we love these people so much and we we so care for them that we don't want to hurt them. We don't want to push them away." Obviously, I agree with that. But what it has caused them to do is to very often just not say what is true. And I just think you're going to lose every single time by not saying what is true. I, I think I wrote down an example of this. Um, well, I already gave you one thing, which was the, um, the, the, the idea of the boy that wants to play in the girls team, even in our, in, in the way we talk about sexual identity, I think is not good. And, and I see that with a lot of the Christians who are trying to, uh, sorry, the, sorry, the Christian leaders who are doing these sex and gender things, trying to train churches on how to talk to young people about sex and gender. I think that they, they've made a foundational mistake by accepting Freud's ideas and the world's ideas about mm. sexual identity. And, and what I mean by that is that the biblical perspective, as I've understood it, is that you are not defined by who you are attracted to. You're not defined by your sexuality, meaning um, who you want to have sex with or who you're attracted with or how you quote unquote identify. There is a lot of parts to who you are and that is one aspect. And so I think because we have so taken that on as an immutable characteristic, in other words, like your skin color, that's an immutable characteristic. God gave you that. That is a that is something to, to, to um, um, uh, thank God for. We should celebrate various skin colors because God d did that for his own glory. But but 
sexuality, who you're attracted to, that is not an immutable characteristic. And in other words, let's just say that you're born in, in China. You're, so you're Chinese. You give your life to Jesus. You're never going to not be Chinese. You're never going to stop being black or something like that. And that, 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 that's, that's some, that's a creative, uh, a norm. But if you give your life to Jesus, now your identity is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And he's going to change everything about who you are. He's going to become the Lord of your sexuality, the Lord of your mind, the Lord of the things you love and this and the other. So I think we got to talk about these things head on in more honest ways rather than just placating to everything. I don't, I don't think it's going very well. I think it's actually going worse because people are trying too much to, they're trying so hard to win people over that I, I gotta be honest. I think they're sort of lying to them. As I just mentioned with the other, Hey, us Christians, John Piper, you got to repent for creating a heteronormative church culture. I got news for people that say things like that. You're going to be shocked in heaven uh, at the heteronormative culture. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what that means. And there is far too much of that going on. It's not loving. It's actually a very, in my view, it's a very hateful way um, to try to win people to Christ because you're actually lying to them and you're sort of validating their sin, in my humble opinion. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Totally concur. Thanks for taking the stand on this. And and uh, I hope that um, God will use your book, especially with younger people. That's that's our heart. So, um, you know, because, you know, we've lost a generation and we can't afford to lose another one. Amen, brother. I agree 100 <laughs> percent. Hey, John, it's nice to meet you, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just like everybody said, I really appreciate you taking a stand um, on this book that so many people should be. And um, you have such a large following. I know everyone I talk to is just a huge fan. So just want to thank you for that. Um, so you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I just wanted to ask in your opinion, what you think is the main cause for weak, wimpy and woke Christians? Mm. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. That's so kind. Uh, this is really important. I think the lack of worldview training, we just stopped doing worldview. In my book, I explain something that I'm really passionate about. And it's sort of this idea, if you can imagine uh, uh, bifurcating heaven and earth. And in other words, splitting up the, 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 the quote unquote spiritual things. And then on the bottom, the earth, you have the natural things. And we sort of split it up. And so what I think began to happen in Christianity is we began to say, hey, the only truth that matters is that people go to heaven. The only truth that matters is, quote unquote, the spiritual things that they know that Jesus is Lord and that he died on a cross, rose from the dead. And so their spiritual life matters, their soul matters, prayer, piety, um, those kinds of issues those are the things we need to talk about, and we're not going to care about the natural things. The reason I think that that is such a bad thing in my book, I explain it as a form of polytheism, because as, as I've understood the Bible, Jesus Christ is the truth for everything. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are living in a real world. This is a real physical world. Uh, there's an apologist called uh, Jeff Myers at Summit Ministries, and Jeff Myers says this, he says, we have to explain to people that there is a real reality and there is a real world. And that real world is defined by the world that the son of God came in the flesh, died and rose from the grave. That is a real reality. And so Christ has to be Lord of this world. 
and he has to be Lord of heaven and, and those kind of things. And so what I think happened is that Christians said, you know what we're going to do? We're saying that Jesus has the answers for how to get to heaven, but he may not have the answers for the here and now. And even if he did have the answers, we don't want to push those things because we don't want to be political or we don't want to make people mad. There's a bunch of different ideas and they don't really matter anyway. And so what we have done in progressive Christianity and liberal Christianity, and even infiltrating what I call traditional Christianity, is a very sort of, um, what do I try to say it? A, an openness, a tolerance for a lot of ideas that I just don't think we should be tolerant about. We should not be tolerant about Marxism within traditional Christianity. I just say, well, but Marx did have some good ideas because he did draw our attention to the need to care for the poor, something like that. And they go through all these things, trying to find ways. Uh, the truth is, is that's not true. Karl Marx did not care for the poor. He hated everybody. I outline it fully in my book. So I think that that's what's going on. I think it's a polytheism to let God, Christ be the Lord of heaven and to let man and man's ideas be Lord of earth. And so part of what I'm saying in this book really isn't any different than what Francis Schaeffer was saying. Um, and a lot of other people that have gone before us, obviously John Calvin, um, Augustine, people like that saying, no, Christ has to be Lord of all of these things. Christ has something to say about economics and politics, how you raise your kids, uh, what you should be teaching your children, how to be a good husband, et cetera. That's good. Thank you. Um, do you think that atheism and or humanism is more of a threat to the soul than progressive Christianity? And if so, why? Mm, I loved this question. I think the best way I would say it, and I haven't thought about it much because I only just saw it today. So I wouldn't tweet this response. I'd need to think about it a little bit further. But the best that I can decide right now is that I don't see a, much of a difference between secular humanism and progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity does believe in a transcendent God. A lot of the times I think it's more, uh, I would call it, you know, theism. I, it's, to my view, it's not actually Christianity. It's just like a belief in a God that kind of exists out there and maybe cares for me or something like that. That is the only difference. But if you look at what progressive Christianity stands for, what drives it, what do they want to do? What do they want to accomplish? Their goals are perfectly in line with secular humanism perfectly in line with all utopians. It's no different whatsoever. Progressive Christians are, to my knowledge, 100%. Look, there may be one person out there that says, I disagree. Uh, I don't believe that, but nearly 100%, they are pro-choice. They believe that, that the right to abortion is a positive thing for women in a just society. They feel that Jesus, if he was alive right now, he would say, yes, I support a woman's right to choose because Jesus liberated women. Um, they are pro-LGBT, they are pro-trans, they are pro-Marxism, pro-socialism, they are pro-open borders. They're really not any different than secular humanists because they are driven by this utopian impulse. So to my mind, they're both the same thing. The only reason that progressive Christianity might be more of a threat to Christians is because we don't know worldview, and the ordinary Christian can't understand why what the progressive Christian is saying is actually wrong. You know, maybe they would go, well, I, I know I don't agree with so-and-so on, you know, some news show who's not a Christian, um, 
that saying the exact same thing, but they they might be more apt to listen to somebody that still says they're a Christian, but in reality is outside of the historic faith. That's so good. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, John. Thanks uh, for taking the time, man, and uh, uh, doing this, and uh, really appreciate your ministry and the ministry of Skillet over the years. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Yeah, so many people feel like they don't understand what's happening in our society, uh, you know, with drag queen story hours, trans ideology, uh, radical sex education in our schools, government tyranny. Uh, why do you think this is happening all so fast? You know, I, I think, uh, and I might be repeating myself a little bit here, sorry if I am, but I, I do think it's still relevant. I think that Christianity stop teaching a a totalizing kingdom and i think that that's really really not good christ taught a totalizing kingdom that that doesn't just affect my own life my own heart you know my personal life but there is a public dimension to it i think it was for the rise of um in philosophy they call it pietism and in pietism what you get basically is saying that everything in the world is is gross. It's, it's evil. It's filth. It's all passing away anyway. It doesn't really matter. Politics belongs to the devil. Economics belongs to the devil. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what is holy. And that is Christ and his word and whatever. So I need to just deal with my own heart, my own sin. Obviously piety is wonderful. Any Christian that doesn't believe in piety is has got a there's a major question going on about you know, your status as a believer. Okay, yes, we should do that, but because of that, they say Christians should not be involved in any of those things. They don't matter. We often hear this said like this: Christians should not get involved in politics. How often do we hear that? That is pietism, and because of that, we left it to the world. And I would say this: if I could go a little more philosophical for you. I think that we're seeing the lie of enlightenment reason with a capital R. Re, uh, enlightenment reason taught us that the, the reason is universal. As long as everybody sits down at the table and has a genuine, honest conversation using our own intellect, we're all going to come to a lot of the same conclusions. Um, in my book, I quoted uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller is probably the... I would say the most influential Christian philosopher of the last 30 years, I think that's probably fair to say, did a lot of amazing things, said a lot of amazing things, was a real a hero of the faith in a lot of ways. One of the things that that I think that Keller, I don't want to say got wrong, because who am I to say Keller got it wrong, but I think it's not helpful that he taught, was basically in his book, um, I quoted it in my book, and all of a sudden I can't remember the name of his book, but he basically said this. All people, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, Marxist, Buddhist, all people everywhere have common intuitions about justice because of common grace. So Christians, basically, we need to stop shouting our Christian principles to the world and instead understand that everybody has common agreement. And as long as we sit down at the table, we're going to get there. I don't think that's true. Uh, and I think that the 2020s have proven that that was more enlightenment thinking. That is not really biblical thinking. So the enlightenment has fallen apart. No, we don't have the same ideas of, of justice. And, and we all know that living in America, 
when some people say that abortion is murder and other people say, no, abortion is an act of love. That's a quote. And it's an act of mercy. Abortion is love. Shout your abortion. How are you going to reconcile those ideas of justice? How are you going to reconcile the fact that we have a lot of college students cheering on Hamas because they believe, yeah, there's a genocide. The Israel, the the folks in Israel, the Jewish people are committing genocide on us. How how so? Just by existing on the land. Well, there's an actual genocide being attempted against Israel. How are you going to reconcile these things? And so I guess what I would say is it happened fast because of pietism and Christians did not engage in what I believe is a full totalizing kingdom of God. And what they didn't understand is that, and I wrote about this extensively in my book, Marxism is a totalizing kingdom that is antithetical to Christianity. Um, The neo-Marxist, the liberation movements, the postmodern movements, the radical 60s sexual revolution, what we see today with wokeness, all of these things are totalizing kingdoms. And that is the reason that you they cannot exist with Christianity. It is truly a war between the living God of the Bible and the God of man and utopia. That's good, John. Uh you talk about the world being given over to a great delusion by God. How can the world be helped if they do not believe the truth? Oh, man, what a great question. I do believe, and and I realize some people may challenge this. It's a scripture says because they because they rejected the truth, they didn't love the truth. God gave them over to a great delusion so that they believed what was false. We see in the book of Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We see in the book of uh, Judges, when it says that time there was no king, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I believe all those things are pertinent to today. So, well, if they're under a great delusion, then what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what I think we should not do is validate some amount of their delusions. That's what is wimpy and weak and woke. And the reason that I think so many Christian leaders are doing it is because they love people. I think their hearts are kind of in the right place. But but they are sort of half swallowed wokeness, which de- redefines victims. And let me give you an example. Just this week, the Dove Awards. We've got apostate people coming to the Dove Awards dressed in drag. We have people saying that they want to redefine Christian music to accept drag queens or LGBT people or this other to redefine the faith. I spoke out about it, and what do I get? I get people in the Christian industry telling me that my words are going to push away victims. Who are the victims? LGBT people. Who are they victims of? They're victims of Christianity. Why? Because Christianity doesn't validate their beliefs. That is the wrong way to help people out of their delusions. Um, For instance, if we begin calling you know, trans. So there's a boy who identifies as a girl, and they want me to call him a she. I'm not going to do that. That is validating the delusion. So what do we do? I think we have to do the same thing we saw with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy under a delusion. He's out in the field like the cows eating grass and acting like a crazy person, was a crazy person. And then what happens? All of a sudden, his eyes open and he realizes it's his own pride. There is no God except uh, for, for the living God, your Yahweh. There is, there is no God, but the one true God and his eyes are open. We have to preach 
the full message of Jesus Christ. There is only one God, and he is the king of a totalizing kingdom. I think if we give in to the delusions, we lose. The other way I think that we reach the world is that we ought to be able to make really rational arguments for our opinions because God created a moral universe. It's rational. And we can do that. For instance, I wrote in the last chapter, I kind of give this positive vision. One of the things the woke are always yelling about is racial disparities. And, and, I, and I just lay out in my book, I care deeply about racial disparities. The woke narrative says that if there are any disparities between whites and blacks or whites and brown people or however it goes down, then it, ha then it has to be oppression. It has to be racism. That's the only reason. And in my book, I say, no, I don't believe that woke narrative. I think a better, more rational approach is to look at the Bible. How does the Bible tell us to thrive? One man and one woman come together in a marital union in covenant for life. They have kids and together they raise their children. And then you see the blessing of God come. And the last thing I'll say about it, if you just look at the statistics, the amount of fatherlessness, if you break it up into racial groups, the amount of fatherlessness coincides with economics and, and material outcomes. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this, the number one, um, the number one most uh, economically um, privileged group is Asian Americans. They're the number one most economically privileged group, and they have the least fatherlessness. Number two is white people. They're the number two most economically privileged, and they have the second least amount of fatherlessness. Next is brown people, and last is black people. So it goes up. I think Asians have something like nine nine percent fatherlessness. Well, there's no way that white people are ever going to to make as much money and have as good of outcomes, educational and what whatnot, as Asian people, because we have a thirty percent fatherlessness rate. You can't buck against the kingdom of God. That is a rational argument, and it makes so much more sense, and it is in line with the scriptures. And that's how I think that we have to, to handle the world. Thank you so much, John, and thank you for the platform that, that you have, and, and thank you for being bold. Thank you, brother. Okay, hi, John. Um, even though you didn't want to get into the political arena, um, you're there now. How do you balance, quote, preaching this message versus staying true to your original passion to stay to share the hope of Christ? Yes, such a great question. Yeah, I really did not ever want to talk about politics and these things. I think that the reason it changed is because, uh, frankly, I said, as I said at the beginning of this thing, I was looking for answers, and I could not get the particular Christian leaders that I was talking to. I couldn't get anybody to give me any straight answers. And I started asking God around 2018, I was like, God, will you please bring people along to give answers? We need that person. And continually, I just, I just would sense the Lord saying to me, John, you're one of the people. What are you waiting on? And I kept thinking, I can't be me. I'm a rock star. That can't possibly. I just want to tell people about the love of God. The reason I think we need to do it in the way that I try to balance it is to realize that these days, there really is not a difference between preaching Jesus, meaning God loves you, Jesus died on the cross, and he wants to give you a brand new life. There's really not a difference between that and the moral 
life implications of that. The reason being is we live in such a postmodern society that people pretty much just see Jesus as an add-on. Progressive Christianity has made that so. So in other words, they go, oh yeah, I can still do whatever I want to do. You know, I can still, I mean, really, you can't, you can't get too extreme. I can still be, uh, you know, I, I can't even think of it right now because I'm, I'm getting tired. Well, there you go. Drag queen. I can still be a drag queen and then add Jesus to it because Jesus was nothing more than, you know, Jesus is the most tolerant, the most accepting. He's the least judgmental person ever. He's the most therapeutic person ever. And I can just add Jesus to that. And it just makes me more positive and more light and blah, blah, blah. So I think that these days, I don't, uh, I don't think you can separate the two. And I think that that's proven by all of the people who really did try to tear down Christianity. They didn't try to tear it down by saying that Jesus isn't truly God. They're trying to tear it down by saying that the ways of the Bible are oppressive. That's the foothold they got into the church. And that is the reason the church is becoming so lukewarm on their response because a lot of the church they're not a, they're not ashamed to say the name of Jesus but they are ashamed of the character of Jesus they do not like talking about some of the things that the bible says and i think that's a real shame well, thank you um and the other one is at the end of the book's introduction you said all i wanted to do was play music in peace but since that's no longer an option i will play music in war Ours is not a war against flesh and blood of bullets or bombs. It is spiritual, theological, and philosophical. We must burn utopia to save the world. So what are some some of the spiritual, theological, and philosophical, practical ways we can fight this war? I honestly, I think the first thing that Christians need to do is to become absolutely certain that the word of God is true. And I'm, I know that sounds like the tritest, simplest answer ever. That's why I wrote my first book, Awaken Alive to Truth. I truly believe, well, I, it's not just that I truly believe. We have the Barna research to prove this. I think millennials, I, I believe, millennial generation uh, that say that they are Christians, of that generation, only 3% have a Christian worldview. I don't really know what to do. We're going to lose the battle if Christians don't even believe in a Christian worldview. Something like 7% believe in absolute truth. So you have people saying that they follow Jesus, but they don't even believe in absolute truth. In other words, they are somewhat postmodern, yet still claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That doesn't make any sense. The first thing we have to do is become absolutely certain that the Bible is true. That's why I wrote in my book, I wrote these things I call Bible binaries. Because the Bible is really clear about some stuff. Um, and he, God is saying, I, I lay before you life and death. Choose which way you will serve. If you do these things, you go to life. If you do the opposite, you go to death. And so I wrote about that. So I think that's the first thing we have to do. We have to make biblical cases for Christianity, for Bible binaries, the, way, the ways of Christ that lead to life. We have to do that. Another thing is we got to make the case. We got to be certain that the Bible is true and correct about human nature because all the progressive worldview right now, by the way, and progressive Christianity teaches this progressive Christianity does not believe in original sin. They do not believe that people are born into sin. Progressive Christianity also doesn't believe that Jesus, that his death was, was actually like an atonement 
They don't believe that that they don't believe that my sin was dumped onto Jesus and the wrath of God was poured onto Jesus. They don't believe that because they don't believe that humans are actually sinful. So the world also doesn't believe that. So the Bible is correct about that. Um, and so if we can take that and we put these Bible binaries in, into every situation in life, and this is the last thing I'll say, one of the biggest things we could do um, is that it will it will teach us on what I said earlier on the, the natural things, government, politics, economics, that's the kind of things that we have to begin to making a biblical philosophical case for for uh, what the Bible says based on the fact that we are born into sin and we are incapable of perfection. Well, John, I want to thank you for the opportunity for us to chat again. Uh, last time we uh, had a chat was back in 2020, um, a very interesting world at the time, but it was awesome to be able to chat twice and thank for the opportunity to get to talk to you again today. Um, you you spent a lot of time talking about, uh, we talked about wokeism in your book, and you, you did an excellent job defining it. Uh, that term woke, I would say, what was it, 10, 20 years ago, meant something totally different and like everything in culture, culture hijacks it, a word or a term or a phrase, and makes it something new, something originally uh, did not, was basically redefining the definition of it. Uh, so with that being in mind, where do you think wokeism diverged from, most significantly, from biblical Christianity? Mm. You know, I, I'm not really sure if if it really changed terms that much. I think what in my view, and look, I might be wrong and and if some if somebody thinks that's fine, I've read some some various African American scholars on it, and some have said that the term woke in its original form was more in the late fifties and the sixties, but they used to call it hip. So they would say like, oh, hey, are you hip to it? And it meant are you are you aware? of the nature of oppression of how this really works that that you know we say there's equal rights but in reality everything is built up in order to oppress certain sorts of social groups and of course i think that most of us i hope would agree that in the 1950s and 60s that was still true there there were structural uh things in laws whether we're talking about jim crow laws or redlining and lots of various things that that actually was a true thing Later on, as these philosophies began changing, what you see is a lot of the critical theory folks and a lot of the postmodern people trying, and then actually, I would say, after second wave feminism, you started beginning to, to go into a lot of black feminism and a lot of writers like that that were kind of conjoining black feminism, Marxism with some of these postmodern concepts. They started trying to reframe some of these things because now the laws had changed, but they still needed, they still needed um, a um, a narrative. And so wokeness, as I've, as I've understood it, was derived from that, saying, "Yeah, I'm hip to the oppression. I, I'm woke to the oppression and the nature of it, and the structures underneath that are that most people are blind to, and that's why they would call it woke. So you're blind to the nature of oppression because only people who suffer the oppression." can see the truth of the thing. I just don't think that your ordinary average person at that time 
understood their philosophies behind it. So I, what I would agree with you on is, in my understanding is that it filtered down to people who I think had really good intentions that were going, Hey, I care about racial oppression. I care about racism. I care about people being oppressed because I'm a Christian because Jesus cared about that. We're supposed to speak up against that. So um, I think that if, if I, I believe that wokeness hijacked our mission but then we sort of borrowed their terminology without understanding where it came from. That's my feeling. And for what I could see that happened, that really happened in the 90s. And that's when you have uh, the birth of critical race theory. And now I've seen a lot of Christian people that 10 years ago were saying they were fighting for woke stuff. Now they're saying nobody even knows what woke means. I don't even call myself woke anymore. But nine times out of 10, I disagreed with those people 10 years ago, and I still dis disagree with them today. I don't think they've actually changed their mind about anything. <laughs> they just don't like to be called woke. And then they uh, they say that people like me don't – you don't even know what woke means. And and frankly, the last thing I'll say, the reason this book is so uh, in-depth, 650 footnotes in this book, quoting the original sources, is because I've had – arguments with Christian music artists who I think are woke and we're fighting for some of this stuff. And as we've talked about it, they've been mad at me for my stances against critical race theory. And I've had two different Christian artists say to me, John, you don't even know what critical race theory is. You just use it because it's a right wing talking point. And, uh, you know, I do know what critical race theory is. I've read it. I understand it pretty deeply. And I usually find that I understand it probably more deeply than the people that say I don't understand it. So I want to give people the original language, the, the very words from the horse's mouth so that people can go, oh, I do know what critical race theory is. That is not Christianity. So that's my explanation. Well, that, that's awesome. Hey, John, this is David. It's good to be with you again. And um, I just want to uh, let you know, uh, you have uh, two generations of Skillet listeners in my home now because my kids love you too. So um, I found you in youth group. My kids found you before you youth group. So um, that's pretty awesome. Uh, but I, as I've been listening to uh, your explanations today, uh, I'm I'm in a similar position uh, as you. I have kids, you have kids, uh, you've thought pretty deeply about this stuff, and I'm assuming have talked to your kids about it. And, um, and I'm, I'm just thinking like, if there is so much swirling around all of these different topics, uh, you know, where do we begin? Because if, if you were a youth pastor, or a youth leader, uh, and you had to sit down with your leadership team and figure out how to address this. How would you prepare your students and even their parents to stand for a biblically faithful faith in a woke culture? Great question. I mean, I got a really cool story. I, I wish I had said this earlier because it's going to really encourage people. And it goes to some of the things I've already said. It goes to the next thing. So my daughter is in college. She is a, a really, really good student, Dean's List, the whole thing. And she is on a whole bunch of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my words, but things, things that are pretty difficult to get into. You have to be really smart, okay? Let's just say you have to be gotcha. a really good student. And so she's been able to get on some of these things where she's in this group. Well, she was going to her group. And of course, all schools are woke. That's just the way it is. And they were going to be adding new people in. And, and the professor said, hey, tomorrow we have the new people coming in. Everybody's going to have to go around the room, introduce yourself 
uh, give your pronouns and yada, yada, yada. We want everybody to feel accepted here. So my daughter came home. We talked about it. She understood. You know, we went through all the stuff, which we had already talked about. And my daughter went, to, she's, she went to school, asked if she could have a one-on-one with the professor, knowing she's probably going to get kicked out of this thing. In fact, she, she actually could get, you know, on probation from school if she's unwilling to give pronouns because it is looked at as a form of hate speech and, and not being tolerant. And she's so sad because she loves this thing she does, but she knows I just got to go tell them. And I, I instructed her how to do it. She goes to her professor and she says, Hey, you know how much I love this. And you know, I have all these people are my friends. As you know, a lot of these people don't agree with my Christian faith. A lot of these people are LGBT. Some of these people are trans and I, Nobody dislikes me and I don't dislike anybody else, but I cannot give my pronouns at the beginning of this thing because I feel like I'm lying. I do not believe that anybody is confused about if I'm a girl or a man. I do not believe that I could switch and become a man. I know that some people might identify as that, but I don't think it's actually possible. It's against my religion. And I really don't think it's fair that I should have to give them. And and the professor said, I have never considered that point of view. And he said, you know what? I'm going to change our policy. So they had the meeting and he said, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in the room, of the room and you say your name. And if you would like to give your pronouns, you may. And all for the very first time, there's all these other students so happy they don't have to give their pronouns because they don't want to either. They just don't. So the point I'm making is this. Three people in my young adults group at my church during 2020, I started leading my young adults group because I was home. So I said, I'll lead them. And I began to train them in this stuff. Three of them have had, so my daughter and the other two were going to lose their job for not signing these forms. And they went, they made a rational argument. And in each case, they have won because mm-hmm. the Bible is rational. Now, I'm not saying that's always going to be the case. Number one, I would say train, train your people in the fact that the Bible it's not just commands of God that are arbitrary. They coincide with the moral universe. They make sense. They are rational mm-hmm. and you will have good outcomes if you do them. Number two, we truly need to begin for Christians to begin to hate secular ideologies. Every once in a while, people go, John, why are you so mad about that? And I go, how are you not mad about that? This is the most satanic. Let me just say this. The, the gender mutilation of teenagers mm. is maybe the most satanic thing I have ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Literally, maybe the most satanic thing. How can people not just hate it? How can you not hate it? How can you not stand up against that? It, it makes no sense to me. And so I think that we have to come to a place where we begin to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. One last thing that I want to say, it's just an example. I'm not bragging on myself, by the way. I'm, this is supposed to be praise reports, you know, but one of the things we see is this, you know, I've already shared twice now. I've gotten some some pushback because of my statements about drag queens coming to the Dove Awards. In each scenario, I have said to the people pushing back, when they said, John, you shouldn't be saying that. It's It just seems like you're angry and you're going to push people away from God. I've said in each scenario, I've said, okay, let me ask you a question. What if instead of them coming in drag, what if they came in KKK hoods? What if they were a quote unquote, you know, Christian white supremacist 
music artist. And I spoke out against them, which by the way, I would. What if I spoke out against them? Do you think that you would be rebuking me then? Do, we all know the answer to that. Of course, they would be on my page. They would say, of course, because we don't allow hate. And I think what you're dealing with is a church right now, even at the very tip top of Christian pastors who truly hate racism in a way that they do not hate sexual immorality. That I think that they go, well, I, I can kind of just, I can understand sexual immorality. And that is a really amazing thing to me. I mean, if you, I don't know, I just think it's, it's not, it's not an issue of, can you understand it? Who, I mean, I can understand racism. Yeah. I can understand why people think that the gender mutilation of teenagers is a good idea. I understand it, but it's, it's wrong. And we are called to hate what God hates. So I, I don't know if I just rambled for a long time. I hope that that that's helpful in some way. That's great. Thank you, John. Hello, John. Hey, can you hear me? I can. Uh, so I'm Stephen from the Rock Show on Pure Twenty Four Seven Radio, and my first question is: What drives you to make the stand, or what motivates you to make the stand that you have made in writing this book? Well, it's good to have a, a Brit on here. <laughs> good to hear your your voice. Um, I would say what drives me is the fact that I honestly, uh, with all of my heart, I am scared for the eternal state of people who believe they're Christians. And, you know, God, salvation belongs to the Lord. How can I know who's Christians and not? But the fruit of people's lives just do not seem very Christian. I And that's what started driving me when I first spoke out against sort of like this sort of um, apostasy with a lot of Christian leaders we were seeing. They were leaving the faith and they were making these, hey, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I was a pastor. I'm leaving the faith. I don't believe in Christ anymore. I spoke out about that because I am genuinely shocked. I am genuinely shocked of the apostasy of the church in America and in the West, to be frank. Um, saying things that are so clearly unbiblical. And when you push and you put, and you start asking people questions, it seems like they're saying things that are unbiblical for the purpose of reaching more people for Christ, which just doesn't make sense. The truth will set you free. Lies don't set people free. Lukewarm Christianity doesn't set people free. The final thing is, is that we have gotten to a point that I personally believe that if the church would just be the church and live in holiness and reject the ways of the world, I actually think the entire country would turn around. I think we would see revival. I think that the whole country would recognize that the light of Christ shines so bright in the darkness that they would be drawn to it. Let me give you an example. If you look at the amount, the percentages of people in churches who watch pornography, they're not all that much different than the world. Yet when I come out and say something about pornography, I'll get people saying, you're not speaking with grace. Everybody sins, blah, blah, blah. We have to make a, a stand against pornography. I don't, I can't believe I have to say this. It's insane. So if you look at, at, the, at the percentages of people in the church who have been divorced, they're not all that different than the world. You can go down the list. And what we'll find is that, yeah, the world is super dark. It's a Dr. Michael Brown is a Christian apologist. He says this all the time. I'm not shocked at the darkness. I'm shocked that there is no light. 
What is the church doing? That's why I speak out about this, frankly. And I don't want to be, I'm not saying this to be arrogant or the angry young man. I just mean it with all my heart. I also speak out because I am so saddened at the lack of Christian leaders, pastors who will not make plain statements. And I think they're leading people in a bad, bad direction. And I actually think that it's going to destroy the nation. And that's not about loving America. That's about the fact that, my gosh, what's going to replace America? If we actually do revolt against America and we have this secular revolution towards utopia, what's going to replace it? Because it doesn't look too pretty right now. I mean, right now you're in danger of, of losing your job if you say the wrong thing on Twitter. You know, if you misgender somebody, you might lose your job. Um, if you look up in what happened in Canada, in Canada they have laws against mm -hmm. – um, what do you call it? Like if you have a parent that won't like affirm their child's, you know, gender transition or something like that, there are, there are legal consequences to some of these things. So we're one step away from that happening in America. So what happens if they win? Freedom of speech is gone. Freedom to assemble is gone. Freedom of religion is gone. We may be free to believe in Christ in our hearts, but we won't be able to say it publicly without ramifications. That's the reason I'm so loud about it. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, my second question is, what would you say to someone who feels that they should make a similar stand um, as you have, but who feels afraid to do so? Oh, I would first of all say, I feel you. I did not want to be doing this. I just I just wanted to be a rock singer, man. <laughs> I just want to sing my music, you know, and tell people Jesus loves you, man. That's all that I wanted to do. The world has changed, and we have finally reached a point. I remember growing up. Let me tell you this real quick. I remember growing up and reading Jesus' words. Remember when Jesus told his apostles, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hate you because they hated me first. It's not you they hate. It's me. That's going to happen. Blessed is the, the who is persecuted and lied about for my name's sake. I would read that, and I would be like, I don't really know if that's true in America. I mean, we're not persecuted for our faith in America. People don't hate me because I live for Jesus. They might think I'm a goody-goody. They might be like, oh, he's one of those church people, whatever. He's ruining the good time. But they don't actually hate me. Well, that's changed. In the 2020s, the words of Jesus are relevant for us. People are going to hate you. That's just the way it is. And so I would just encourage people, I'm not saying they need to go online and start yelling at people or making some social media stand, even if it's only in your, your relationships with friends. You're going to have to have conversations about why you believe what you believe, because the truth is we're now in a time when our non-Christian friends believe that we are unjust. And so they are accusing people like me and like you of not, they're like, I thought you were the Christian Jesus cared about the poor, so why aren't you marching for BLM? I, I got this so much in 2020 when I was speaking out against like these riots and stuff. Um, and by the way, I always said, if you're a Christian that wants to march with BLM, I have grace for you because I think you're probably doing it because you truly believe it's for racial justice. I'm just giving you my opinion. I never said people were wrong for it. Just saying, I'm a nice guy. But the point is, is that people say, John, I thought you were the Christian. How come you're against racial justice? And it forces me to explain to them that their worldview is actually not just. And guess what? They might hate me after that, but that's 
you're going to have to take that piece of you that wants the world to think that you're a nice person and put it to death. Those days are over. Thank you. This is my question brilliantly. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Hey, Melissa, how's it going? Hi, John. Long time no see, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for, you know, getting together and talking with us about this. Um, my first question is uh, in particular about chapter five, about the inner self. This is something that is of particular interest to me lately. Um, you quote Freud, a bunch of information about being authentic. Okay. Now my question is something that I don't see a lot of people cover. I'm sure they think about it, but um, it's about the spiritual side of this, right? So we see humanity fighting hard against what's true uh, because they ultimately see themselves as, ha as having some sort of divine authority inside beyond just psychology, right? So to be authentic means I'm my true self with a capital T, capital S as a person who's awakened or divine to spiritual truth within. What are your thoughts on that considering what you've covered in your book? Oh, yeah, Melissa, I absolutely agree with that. You know, I th if I remember correctly, in that chapter, I, I even describe it a little bit like Gnosticism, um, which is a little bit like what you're saying. Um, I absolutely do think that that's a spiritual thing. I think that what it is, I think I think the version of it now is a mixture between postmodernism and that sort of Gnostic inner self to where people say, the only thing that's real is how I feel and that. And so it makes every individual the, the supreme authority, if you will. And that is the, the only thing that, 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 that matters. And so I am kind of transcending this physical world because the physical world isn't real in this postmodern aspect, physical world, not real. The only world that's real is my inner self and how I feel. So I'm transcending it and sort of like Gnosticism, I have this inner light, this inner God that gives me absolute supreme authority, which is why people say it's like it's hate speech if you disagree with them or that you are you're being harmful if you say that what they believe is incorrect. They 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 don't like that. The only thing that matters is uh, that true following your true inner God. And, and they call that authenticity. And the ironic thing is that in this progressive world where they say that there's no such thing as truth, they say all that matters, all that's moral is that you are your authentic self. You can do any, uh, what we would call biblically immoral thing you want to do as long as you're being your authentic self. But, but here's the thing, and Melissa, I know you know this, is that it's completely inconsistent which reveals the secret agenda of postmodernism that is nothing more than than a vehicle for um, utopian Marxism, basically. It reveals this. They say, all that matters is being your authentic self. And you say, okay, what if my authentic self is someone that hates people who don't have the same skin color as me? That's not accepted. <laughs> you know, what if you say, well, my authentic self, I wrote, I wrote something down, was my authentic self is, is being a sexist. I just don't think that women are as good as men. And I think that women should be treated as secondary citizens. Is that acceptable in the postmodern world? Are they going to give me a hand clap and say, woo, you're, you're, you're such a progressive person? No, progressivism only allows you to do certain things. And when you do it, they call it being your authentic self because they have redefined morality based on their things. But I agree with you. It really is Gnosticism. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. This is what I call backbone books. It's just, you know, you say it and you say it firmly and you say it well, it was really good. Um, this kind of rolls over into my next question. Uh, another theme that you write about is what some people would call prag uh, pragmatism, right? Which mm -hmm. is basically if it feels good and it works for me, then it must be true, mm -hmm. right? And you talk about if truth hurts, then it's harmful, which is a no-no in our society today. If someone came up to you and said, I don't care if it's true, it helps me, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a great question, Melissa. Um, I might nuance that a little bit. You are correct uh, mm -hmm. about the pragmatism angle, and we certainly see that a lot. What I, in my experience and the people that I've talked to, what I see more often is a little bit more of a postmodern thing, which wouldn't be um, if it, did you say if it helps me, then it's true. I would say it's if it helps me, then it's good. So mm. mine's slightly different, but I think that they both matter. So um, let me look at my notes that I wrote down. If somebody asked me, um, I'm trying to decide if it's, if, I, if it's truth, then I would say, okay, it's the truth that sets you free. So it just depends in that conversation. They say, well, hey, it's working for me. It helps me. So then it's true. And and, and I would just say, okay, are you are you interested in living a lie? And if you're interested in living a lie, then I don't really know what else I can say to you. If you wish to live in a false reality, you know, like, like to live in the matrix, well, what can I say about that? I think a quote from my book that I wrote was something to the, to the degree of a lot of people, a lot of people, no, no, I would rather be a suffering freedman than a happy slave. Yeah. I, I don't want to live a lie just because it makes me feel, you know what that is? That's just like, plugging into the matrix or the, uh, what's it, the metaverse or something and living my life in some video game, that's not real. So I think that that's what I would say. But to the other thing, I would just say, um, to somebody that, that, that this, this is a lie, even if what you mean is if, if it helps me, then it has to be a good thing that that is the therapeutic. And I think, you know, Melissa, what I'm really concerned about is that that sentiment to some degree is slipping in to mainstream Christianity. We hear it on, on some of the most, uh, who we thought Orthodox Christian leaders there are, it is slipping into this thing where they go, well, maybe it is kind of good for you. And I don't want to tell them that it's not necessarily because I'm going to hurt their feelings and, and, you know, this and that and the other. And I would just say that that sort of, that just sort of destroys society because you you live a lie and the example of that of course would be what we see with the transgender ideology now you know i i i meet transgender people at concerts there's i've never had any beef with any of them they're nice people i love these people it's it's it i've got nothing in, in terms of that against them but if you try to recreate society based on their therapeutic or their uh as even as you would call it pragmatism or the postmodern version, which I, I call it sort of like the therapeutic, I don't know what to call it. If we recreate the entire society to go along with the lie, then you're mm -hmm. going to end up with the, the absolute destruction of the public sphere, which is what we're seeing right now. I mean, how can you even live in, in, together in a world right now where no one agrees that, any, that anything is true, You know that, that a man can become a woman, that a man can become a dog, that there's really no difference between the human race and the and the the animals and stuff like that. I mean, that is where all of this is is really headed, and it's just a 
it's a really, it's a really frightening thing, isn't it? So to me, it kind of comes down to truth. Do you want to live in a fake reality? I guess that's up to you, but I do think Christians, I know I'm long-winded. Last thing I'll say, we Christians need to, we really do need to fight for uh, truth in the public realm. We should not surrender truth in the public realm as if it doesn't matter at all. You know, the only thing that matters is Jesus when you die. Let the public realm do what it's going to do. We will actually reach like the boiling point point and see the absolute destruction of everything. I, I truly believe that with all my heart. Thanks so much, you guys. Well, thanks for listening. And thanks again, John, for doing this press room style. Be sure to like and subscribe on our YouTube rate and review us on apple podcast check us out christian music guys all social media christianmusicguys.com see you next week